Oh, so glad to have you here tonight. I know it's warm out. You could be, in, I guess, outside enjoying the sun. But, you know, we need, how many agree, we need more of the sun of righteousness Amen. in our lives. We need to grow in grace and truth uh, so that when we get outside these doors, we will be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. Can I have an amen? amen. Romans, um, uh, uh, Romans, the 12th chapter. Why don't you turn there? And uh, we've been doing a... Um, course, series on man in three dimensions, and um, I don't want to repeat a lot because I have some things to cover, but I do want to say this before I start, that Sarah Schulting, or her last name is Smith, uh, and um, Elle's uh, sister passed away, um, uh, what, a week ago, and um, uh, yesterday, I believe, and their fu her funeral is going to be on Friday at 2 o'clock at the Heritage Funeral Home, which is right on the corner of 57th in Minnesota. Again, that's at 2 o'clock, but any of you would like to come and just support the family, I know that they would love for you to be there. She was only 40 years old when she passed away, and she left two daughters and, um, um, uh, here, and they're here tonight in the youth center. So grateful, Cherish, that you brought them and that they're willing to come, because the word of God is, will strengthen them and change their lives. Amen? Amen. Romans, the 12th chapter, before we read verse 1 and 2, I just wanted to, we started out by simply saying that man throughout, every generation has experienced identity crisis, uh, especially uh, Israel did when they moved away from God. When they walked with God and they knew God, they were blessed by God, provided by God, protected by God, uh, it, was a, it was a great experience. But then, of course, because of the human nature uh, and because of the influence of the natures around, excuse me, the nations around them, because of the cultures around them, they begin to be moved by uh, the influence of the world and uh, slowly but surely moved away from God, and then they suffered the consequences for it. So anyway, this identity crisis is resolved by discovering what the Bible says about you. And the Bible, find, we find in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23, that we are a threefold, uh, we are a threefold being. Uh, Paul prayed, he said, may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, so you are a spirit being uh, made in the image of God. You have a soul which is made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions. And you live in a nurse suit, a natural body that we live in temporarily. Say temporarily. temporarily. We're supposed to live in it for eternity. But Adam's transgression brought that to a halt. And God's mercy and grace shortened our lifespan to forever, to, uh, 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 to 120 years, which I'm grateful for. And uh, 100 years in this body is long enough. Amen. Uh, right, Raleigh? Oh, Raleigh's not 100 yet. <laughs> Raleigh just had a birthday, and, he, and he's 95. No, no, you're 85. Excuse me. 95. Yeah, 95. Anyway, uh, so when Adam transgressed in the garden, listen to this now. It was the unseen or the inward dimension of man that was affected or that died. He was separated from his creator, God, and cut off from his eternal union with God. And then he passed that curse down to every generation that followed him. So Jesus is called the last Adam. He came back to repair that broken fellowship and restore man's relationship to God through his death and resurrection. Jesus calls it, you must be born again. Or you must have a change on the inside if you're going to reconnect with God. If you agree, say amen to that. Amen. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things of that nature that had you bound has passed away and all things regarding the relationship with God uh, is new. Hallelujah. I said hallelujah. So we're new on the inside, yet we find out that we're unchanged on the outside. And um, uh, meaning your spirit was changed, but your soul and body remained the same. Which, of course, this is what Paul talks about in Romans 12. So let's read Romans 12, verse 1 through uh, 2 out of the King James. Now, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, Paul, writing to the church at Rome, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Now, see, that's, see, now again, he said, now I want you to present your bodies a living sacrifice. Now, up to the point of your salvation before you were saved, you used your body as a dead sacrifice. You used your body as an expression of sin rather than an expression of uh, of uh, new life in Christ. Can I have an amen to that? Amen. So he said, now, he says, I want you to present your body. Now that you're born again on the inside, I want you to um, uh, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, not acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed or fashioned to this age. Don't be conformed to this world, 
but be transformed, metamorphosed, be transformed by the renewing or the renovating or the changing of your thinking, renewing of your mind. Now, the New Living Translation says this, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. Now, I know we're all challenged in our thinking, but how many agree that we're thinking better than what we used to think? Amen. And that is a process that, uh, to change and renew your thinking is a process. It's a journey. And the more you meditate on the word of God, the more of his thinking that you receive in your life. Let me read the message Bible. Here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. For him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. See, sometimes, you know, even today, you know, that there's a message out there. There's a, you know, that say, hey, we just got to be, we got to look really a lot like the world so the Lord receives us. No, we need to look a lot like Jesus so that the world receives Jesus. Amen. And uh, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed well -formed maturity in you. So everybody that is born of the Spirit, John 3, verse 5, not only has been re re reunited to his creator, but he's been reunited to the nature of God. And the nature of God meaning you have been, God has imparted, infused into your spirit the nine attributes of God or characteristics of God, which are listed in Galatians 5.22. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, uh, uh, um, uh, temperance, and faithfulness. God has put those nine fruit into your life, and they're there. You just have to develop them farther in your life. If you agree, say amen to that. Now, Paul... Now I'm going to go to Galatians 5. We'll just rehearse this a little bit. We were here last week and get right into what we're going here back in Romans. In Galatians 5, verse 13, it says this. Paul writing to the church at Galatia. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. It means he said you can, but that's not what I want for you. That's not what God wants for you. So he's talking about two natures. You have a new nature in Christ. And you've got an Adamic nature that you carry with you that is expressed through this body of clay. And so, uh, um, so you have two natures to steward or to manage. Say that out loud. Say, I have two natures, I have two natures. to manage. Amen. You do. Amen. And um, you need to understand that. See, um, then it go, Paul goes on. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor and I, wrote, I said this last week, but it's important how you understand this. Love your neighbor as you yourself would want to be loved. That's exactly what he's saying. Love your neighbor as you yourself would want to be loved. How many agree and are thankful that God's love is unconditional? Amen. Amen. That, that, you know, he doesn't stop loving us. So then he goes on, love your neighbor as you yourself would want to be loved. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out, beware of destroying one another. Again, Paul is addressing believers, and isn't it amazing? He says, though you have this divine change on the inside, yet you still have the power to bite and devour one another and literally destroy one another. Isn't that interesting? But that doesn't come from the inward nature. That comes from the Adamic nature. Anybody ever had experience from biting and devouring one another? This has been saved. Don't raise your hand, but that's all of us have. Absolutely. So you know that nature exists in your life. We have to understand that so we understand who our enemy is. So un listen, until you leave your natural house, this body of clay, you will have an Adamic nature co to contend with. Ephesians 4, the Holy Spirit identifies this sinful nature as the old man. I know years ago, you know, I had a friend of mine, I always called his dad the old man. Yeah, I got to go help the old man do chores. I never liked that. I always thought that was disrespectful. So if you call your dad the old man, stop doing it. I mean that. It's disrespectful. He's your father. He's not your old man. You don't call God your old man, do you? Well, I prayed to the old man today. and No, you wouldn't have that kind of disrespect for him, so don't do that to your father. And, and usually sons do that because they were just simply taught wrong. 
And um, so the, old, the outward sinful nature is called the old man. And then Ephesians 4 also, the new nature is called the new man. Listen to this. And both are competing for dominance. Both are competing for dominance. I just want you to know that. And we'll see this from the scriptures here. They, um, but the good news is the Adamic nature, that dominant force has been broken in your life. So you no longer have to yield to it. I said you no longer have to yield to it. Amen. God's nature of love is within you. Now it's the dominant force. Listen, and it will prevail against all its enemies as long as we are willing to exercise it. Galatians 5, look here. Let's look at a few of the enemies. We read this last week, and then we're going to get right into Romans, uh, back to Romans 6. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, and lustful pleasures. I think that's very interesting that he would list those three. Because the sexual behavior aspect of man is real today. They, they say there's a high percentage of adult males, Christian men, that are they're addicted to pornography. And it's such a sad thing because it does nothing but destroy your, it destroys your spiritual creativity, it destroys your behavior, it destroys every good thing of God in your life. But he lists those three things, okay? Idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Now let me tell you again as I've have before that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. I, now listen, I, I, I tried to study that out to try to bring some kind of understanding. Does that mean he will not inherit eternal life? Here's what, here's what, here's what it says closest to the Greek. You'll not be an heir of the royalty of the supreme divinity. You won't be heir of the royalty of the supreme divinity. See, I believe there is a level of life that we can live on this earth that brings glory to God, defeats the devil, and, be and, and becomes a light to the world that sits in darkness. That's where God wants you to live. See, any, I mean, as I, as I can see from the scriptures, if anything, any of this behavior drags you down to the culture around you, so you look so much like the culture that they literally cannot identify any of God in you. So you're defeating, you're defeating your calling of being a light to the world and salt of the earth. Is that right? I'm just saying. I mean, so that Paul's writing this. So, do you remember when I said that that your body or your natural temple ultimately reflects the one who's living there? You drive by a house, you know. And you say, hey, it looks pretty good on the outside. But you get inside and, you know, and uh, I mean, there's cat poop, dog poop, bird poop. We had actually moved some years ago. I'm telling you the truth that we walked into the house. They had cats all over the house. But listen, not only did they have cats, there was dead birds and, and, and other animals in the house that the cats had drug in. And we had, yeah, we had to work through that, you know. And so it looked good on the outside. But when you get in there, oof, there was a whole lot of stink. And I think that's sometimes the way it is in our lives. If we're not careful, we try to dress up on the outside, but on the inside, things aren't as good as, as others think it is. Amen. When sinners get close to us, will they be able to recognize who's living there? Listen to this. Sooner or later, someone is coming out of that house, either the old man or the new man. <laughs> well, this is good. Praise the Lord. Do you remember... Um, in Luke, and do you remember in Mark 11 where Jesus cursed the fig tree? And, and uh, for, you know, for years I've tried to figure out how did Brother Hagin taught on this all the time. It was a great teaching. He, he, he cursed the fig tree. Why? Because, listen, the fig tree ceased to do what it was created to do. What was that? Feed a need. It was created to feed a need. So Jesus walked up to it because the Bible says he was hungry. And so Jesus had the same appetites that we have. So he reached out and there was nothing on it. And it should, have been, it should have been full of fruit because the leaves are on it. When the leaves are on it, that, that's simply saying that this tree is full of fruit. But it had ceased to do what it was created to do, so Jesus cursed it. And Israel is likened unto the fig tree. And so Jesus was simply saying he was cursing the very root, the very root of the spiritual attitude of Israel so that he could bring redemption into, the redemptive realities into 
the hearts of humanity. So he cursed it. But there was two things he did that day. He cursed the fig tree, and then he walked into the temple to purge the temple. So the fig tree was supposed to feed a need. The temple was, was supposed to be a house of prayer. But they had made it a den of thieves. And so Jesus wanted the, the people of God and the house of God to go back to what it was called to be, and that is a place where God would dwell and where God would shine forth his glory in the earth. Can I have an amen? Now turn to Romans 6. Romans 6 chapter. This is going to go real. This is going to, this is really, you know, these nights can be, to me, reading the word of God is very inspiring. Romans, the sixth chapter, is going to help us identify this, uh, this life that we live in the flesh. You know, we, I'm talking inside this body, even though we're born again. And Romans 6, verse, I'm not sure where I start. Okay, verse 3. There's, I, I was, I, so many good things, but let's read this. So this is Amplified. Now, I want you to really stay focused and read these words with Read these words, study them as we're reading them. Are you ignorant of the fact that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Let's go on. We were buried, therefore, with him by the baptism into death. Why? So that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, we too might habitually live and behave in newness of life. Well, he's just simply saying... The resurrection power of God in you will empower you to live a Christ-like life. That's what he's trying to tell us. Let's go on. For if we become one with him by sharing a death like his, we shall also be one with him in sharing his resurrection by a new life lived for God. Not good. A new life lived for God. Let's go on. We know that our old, unrenewed self was nailed to the cross with him in order that our body, watch this, which is the instrument of sin, might be made ineffective and inactive for evil that we might no longer be the slaves of sin. That's what I was trying to get across to you, that these bodies, you can't blame your body for sinning. Your body is simply this tool. It's the instrument to which the soul makes a decision on what it's going to do and how it's going to live, how it's going to act. You can't blame your body. Body is just the instrument to which you, it's your house. You live in it. Let's go on. For when a man dies, he is freed or loosed or delivered from the power of sin. So how many here died with Christ when you received Christ into your life? So he's telling you when you died, he loosed you and delivered you from the power of sin. That sin no longer is to dominate your life. So he's telling you. Say, that's good news. Amen. Let's go on. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Because we know that Christ, the anointed one, being once raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has power over him. For by the death he died, he died to sin, ending his relation to it once and for all. And the life that he lives, he is living to God, watch, is living to God in unbroken fellowship with him. How many believe that? God made you news so that you could be in unbroken fellowship with him. Unbroken fellowship. There's, the, there's that divine intimacy. For even so, consider yourselves also dead to sin, and your relationship to it broken, but alive to God, living in unbroken fellowship with him in Christ Jesus. So he said, now consider yourself dead to sin. Wow, think about that. Consider yourself dead to sin. And I use this analogy, but it's true. If, if um, you know, if, um, uh, if, if someone were come up here, worship God, and they dropped over dead, I could kick him and say, you lousy, old, ugly kook. Wouldn't affect him at all. He wouldn't, he wouldn't get offended. He wouldn't get angry. He wouldn't feel bad. Why? He's dead. <laughs> He's dead. Amen. So, let's go on. So, let not sin, therefore. Let not means you can if you want. 
Let not therefore sin, let not sin therefore rule as a king in your mortal short-lived perishable bodies to make you yield to its cravings and be subject to its lusts and evil passions. So now you know what's expressed through the body. It is lusts, evil passions, and cravings. Verse 13, do not continue offering or yielding your bodily members and faculties to sin as instruments or tools of wickedness, but offer and yield yourselves to God as though you have been raised from the dead to perpetual life and your bodily members and faculties to God, presenting them as implements of righteousness. Why was this so important? Because in Rome, they worshipped thousands of gods. In Rome, that they, they had sex in the temple. I mean, it was just perversion, such idolatry, such immorality, that Paul's got to waken the church up and say, hey, hey, you're dead to this, you're dead to this, you're alive unto God, you're dead, you've been changed. The church would have never made it. The church would have never survived if Paul didn't write these things to the, to the believers. And then they heed to it. So, for, verse 14, For sin shall not any longer exert dominion over you, since you now are not under law as slaves, but under grace as subjects of God's favor and mercy. What then are, what, what then are we to conclude? Shall we sin because we live not under the law, but under God's favor and mercy? Certainly not. Watch this. Do you not know that if you continually surrender yourselves to anyone to do his will, you are the slaves of him you obey, whether that be sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness, right doing and right standing with God? Oh, but thank God, though you were once slaves of sin, you have become obedient with all your heart to the standard of teaching which you were instructed and to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you have become the servants of righteousness, watch this, of conformity to the divine will in thought, purpose, and action. See, if we didn't know this, we'd just say, well, you know, you know, just the way we are, we're just sinners. No, you were sinners. Now you're God's righteousness yielding every member of your body to the Holy Spirit so that you can be an expression of God in the earth. Is this good or what? Let's go on. Okay, I'm going to stop there. Now let's go to chapter 7, verse... Ah, oh man. So good. Verse 5. When we were living in the flesh... Mere physical lives. When we, before we were saved, the sinful passions that were awakened and aroused up by what the law makes sin were constantly operating in our natural powers, in our bodily organs, in the sensitive appetites and the wills of the flesh, so that we bore the fruit. Uh, we bore fruit for death, and we just read that fruit in Galatians five, the works of the flesh. We read that, okay? So he says that's what we were bearing. That's 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 what we're manifesting in our lives, okay? But now. We are discharged from the law and have terminated all intercourse with it, having died, to what court, uh, having died to what once restrained and held us captive. So now we serve not under obedience to the old code of written regulations, but under obedience, watch this, to the promptings of the Spirit in newness of life. Woo, that's good. See, something's going to drive you every day of your life. It can either be the passions of your Human nature, or it can be the unction of the Holy Spirit. How many want the Holy Spirit to control your life? Amen. Something's going to control it. And Paul is teaching this, okay? So what do we conclude, verse 7? Is the law identical with sin? Well, certainly not. Nevertheless, if it had not been for the law, I should not have recognized sin or have known its meaning. For instance, I would not have known about covetousness, would have had no consciousness of sin or sense of guilt if the law had not been repeatedly said, you shall not covet and have an evil desire for one thing or another. He said, if I didn't know that, if I would have known that, I would have died in my sin even though I thought everything was fine. But the law awakened that in me. The law said, thou shalt not covet. Ah! Really? And then conviction came, and now I can do something with that. I can either ask God for his help to change the course, the direction of my life, or I can con continue serving that appetite and never get free from it. Isn't this good? 
Verse 8, but sin, finding opportunity in the commandment to express itself, got a hold on me and aroused and stimulated all kinds of forbidden desires, that, uh, lust and covetousness, for without the law, sin is dead, or the sense of it is inactive and a lifeless thing. Once I was alive, Paul says, but quite apart from and unconscious of the law. But when the commandment came, sin lived again and I died, was sentenced to the law of death. Now, we are living in very trying times. I got a call, call last night or yesterday afternoon from my cousin. And they said, oh, we're just having some turmoil in our church. She said, I said, what's going on? Well, we have a gentleman in our church, and I, I mean, he, we love him to death. He's just, I mean, he, he, we just love him so much. And I said, okay, or love him to life. <laughs> and so we just love him, and, he, and, and, and he's a homosexual. And his partner died. They served in the church, and his partner died. And now the church is um, trying to figure out what they should do, and this, uh, you know, is regards to this guy because we love him and if they, they want to kind of say, well, if you're living that kind of a lifestyle or practicing that lifestyle, you really can't be in a position of leadership in the church. But if they, if they do that, we're going to lose him, you know. So I just began to share with her. I said, you know, that's good. I mean, it's awesome that you love that person, that you've been a friend to him. But see, what's so challenging today is that, see, because we're the ones that are marked as the people that hate the, the ungodly. No, we love the ungodly. Listen, Hollywood hates the ungodly. We love the God, ungodly. Just because you don't accept the behavior of something, it doesn't mean you don't love them. God will not accept our behavior even though he loves us. There's going to be some requirements of us. You cannot sit and practice unrighteousness and think that God's favor is going to be in your life. He's going to love you, but just the things that you're sowing in your life are going to come back into your life in abundance. But I said, and we were talking about, it, if they really love this gentleman, and I'm sure they do. I mean, I really, I'm sure they do. They would then slowly but surely help them to recognize that they can be free from that, from that um, immoral sickness. You know, they can be free from it. That God loves them and wants them to be free and not tormented. See, if, 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 they, if, if, if every person that is not morally, uh, you know, if every person that is morally corrupt, um, the highest rate of suicide is among people that are bound by sexual perversion. Because you can't, I mean, it just doesn't satisfy. It's the worst thing. Uh, it's, it's, I don't care if you're a, it doesn't mean, I'm not, we got all the target one thing. I don't care if you're gay. I don't care if you're a, a, an adulterer. Remember Jesus said, if you look at a woman to lust after her, you've committed the act already? Is that what he said? Yeah. Oh, thank you. And so it, it, we don't, you know, we just, it's, that is not, we're not trying to target nobody. We're just trying to teach people. That's why the devil wants to keep the church silent. If they really love this person in time, because they love him so much, they would just simply begin to sow uh, a transformation message into his life so that they can be free. Do you understand that? So they can be free. So I don't care if it's an adulterer, a fornicator, you know, or, or, or a person that's bombed by pornography. It's all the same thing. It's just sexual, it's sexual torment in your life. You want to be free. You want to be normal. You, 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 want to be, you want to be like everybody else, whatever that means. You actually want to be godlike, and you can't make it because you don't understand because everybody's embracing you saying that your lifestyle is fine. I would tell the, if one of you were committing adultery, I would tell you that's wrong. You need to correct, repent and correct that in your life. So it has nothing to do with us bashing anybody. I've got the greatest compassion for anybody that's bound by that stuff. But somebody has to speak the truth. Come on, wake up, everybody. Somebody has to speak the truth. Where am I at? Romans 7, where? Help me. Where'd I end? Okay, nobody was following along. Where do I... Romans, Romans 7 what? Nine. Nine, thank you. See, once I was alive, but 
quite apart from and unconscious of the law. He said, I didn't. I mean, I was alive. I was having fun. I was, hey, man, I was just having a blast. I was partying, man, and just, you know, really, life was good. <laughs> and then he goes on and says, then, but when the commandment came, sin, sin uh, lived again, and I died, was sentenced by the law to death. And the very legal ordinance which was designed and intended to bring life actually proved to mean, to me, death. What does that mean? The law said, don't commit an act of transgression. And then the law mocked that person because didn't give them the power to do it. See, unless you got, it, isn't a, it is not a decision of the mind. It's a revelation of the heart that the Spirit of God literally lives in you and empowers you to walk out the Word of God in your life. It empowers you to be Christ-like. That's what the Word of God, the Spirit of God and the Word of God is what changes your life. Let's go on. Now, for, verse 11, for sin, seizing the opportunity and getting a hold on me by taking its incentive from the commandment, beguiled and entrapped and cheated me, using it as a weapon, and it killed me. That's exactly what Satan tempted Eve with. Hath God said? (laughs) Come on! You're not going to die. You're going to be like God. And he told her a half-truth. She wouldn't die physically, but she died spiritually. That's the, the deceiver. Come on! Just a little porno. You know, just a little weed. It's medicinal. Whatever, whatever, whatever. And all of a sudden you find yourself entrapped by the very thing that you were set free from. All right. Let's go on. The law, therefore, is holy. And each commandment is holy and just and good. Now, did that which is good then prove fatal, bringing death to me? Well, certainly not. It was sin. Working death in me by using this good thing as a weapon in order that through the commandment, sin might be shown up clearly to be sin and the extreme malignity and immeasurable sinfulness of sin might plainly appear. So God said, I wanted, I wanted to let you, through the Ten Commandments, remember one of the commandments, thou shalt not covet thy what? Thy neighbor's wife. How many agree that that's a good thing, not to covet your neighbor? Yeah, that's a good thing. Because the neighbor's husband might kill you. <laughs> That's a good thing. But, but the most important thing is that you're going to stand before God. But so, you wouldn't have, unless that was a, a truth that was revealed, unless that was revealed, they could covet, listen, they could do that, listen, and, and, and still be sentenced to death because of it. But because there's no truth, they can't have conviction and be changed. All right, let me read. Um, let me read the uh, the uh, the the um, the GW translation. At one time, I was alive without any laws, but when this commandment came, sin became alive, and I died. I found that the commandment, which was intended to bring me life, actually brought me death. Sin, taking the opportunity provided by this commandment, deceived me and then killed me. So Moses' teachings are holy, and the commandment is holy, right, and good. Now, did something good cause my death? Well, that's, that's unthinkable. Rather, my, my death was caused by sin so that sin would be recognized for what it is. Through a commandment, sin became more sinful than ever. See, now you know why, and I wrote this now, now you know why the devil wants to silence you. For you're the only one who understands, listen, you're the only one who understands the power of sin versus the power of a transformed life. You're the only one who understands the fruit of sin compared to the fruit of God's spirit revealed in a transformed life. If the devil can weaken the church morally, a sinner's corrupt lifestyle will go unchallenged, listen, and their sinful lives unchanged. This thing is bigger than you. Let me say it again. If the devil can weaken the church morally, a sinner's corrupt lifestyle will go unchallenged and their sinful lives unchanged. Because why not? Let's all be the same. Let's just, let's all be the same. There's nothing wrong with this or that or this or that. But what is the intent of the heart? How many want to be as close to God as you can so you please him in everything you say and do? 
Yeah, that's our drive. That should be our drive, not to figure out how close we can get to the world. Amen. Well, a couple more verses, and I'm going to quit. Then we'll, we'll, we'll continue on with this. Because i got to get chapter 8, because this all ties together. Remember, if you study the Bible in context, you'll never get off. You'll be humble before God. You'll never get off. Never. And I've got it. There's a scripture there. And we'll, we'll just quote it right now because we have to close here pretty quick. The scripture, chapter 8, verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. And we've had people many years ago, I was trying to correct someone. They said, oh, pastor, there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. You know, he's as arrogant as can be. Listen, true humility produces conviction. Pride produces condemnation. There is, therefore no, there is therefore no condemnation, listen, to those who are in Christ Jesus, listen, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. But if you walk after the flesh, there will be condemnation. And we'll get into that as we go. But we'll finish this chapter, okay? We'll just finish this few verses. Now, where did I leave off at? Help me. We know that laws break wrong. Verse 14, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am a creature of the flesh, carnal, unspiritual, having been sold into slavery under the control of sin. Now, don't get confused. He's not saying he's controlled by, he's saying this is the Adamic nature. This is me apart from God. See, you have to study the scriptures, discern what they're saying, not just read words. Let's go on. We'll prove it in a minute. For I do not understand my own actions. I am baffled, bewildered. I do not practice or accomplish what I wish, but I do the very thing that I loathe, which my moral instinct condemns. Now, if I do habitually what is contrary to my desire, that means that I acknowledge and agree that the law is good, morally excellent, and that I take sides with it. However, it is no longer I who do the deed, but the sin principle which is at home in me and has possession of me. See, the sin principle doesn't have possession of you anymore. And we'll see this at the end of the chapter. But it did. And it can, if you're not smart. However, verse 18, for I know that nothing good dwells with, now watch, here, here, watch it, now watch it, watch it. For I know that nothing good dwells within me, watch this, that is where? Set. Oh, in my flesh. So he's not talking about your spirit. He's talking about your flesh, okay? I can will what is right, but I cannot perform it. I have the intention and urge to do what is right, but no power to carry it out. In my flesh. In my flesh. Not by the Holy Ghost, which we'll see in a moment. All right, let's go on. Verse 19, for I fail to practice the good deeds I desire to do, but the evil deeds that I do not desire to do are what I am ever doing in the flesh. He said, when I'm in the flesh, man, I'm just, every, I want to do right, but I end up doing wrong. How many wake up one morning just feeling great, and by, by, by noon, I mean, you, you're acting like the devil. So something, you're still saved? Praise God. But you sure don't act like it. You agree with me? That the, so if that be the case, that's not the expression of the Holy Spirit coming out in your life. You all agree? That's not the nature of God coming out of you at that point, correct? correct? Okay, so you know there's a war going on. So, verse, where'd I end up? Okay, verse 21. So, okay, now, verse 20. Now, if I do what I do not desire to do, it is no longer I doing it. It is not myself that acts, but the sin principle which dwells within me, fixed and operating where? Ah, in my soul. Isn't this good? Are y'all, are y'all, I'm just, I think this is so good. I don't know, maybe, maybe, are y'all, are y'all, is this good to you? Good. So I find that it to be a law, rule of action of my being, that when I want to do what is right and good, evil is ever present with me, and I'm subject to its instant, instant, its insistent demands. Again, that's in the flesh. For I endorse, Paul says, I endorse and delight in the law of God in my inmost self, with my new nature, ah, yeah, with my new nature, I endorse and delight in the law of God. But I discern in my bodily members. 
in the sensitive appetites and wills of the flesh a different law or rule of action at war against the law of my mind or my reason and making me a prisoner of the law of sin that dwells in my bodily organs in this sensitive appetites and wills of the flesh. Oh, unhappy and pitiable and wretched man that I am, this fleshly man, this fleshly Adamic nature surely is wretched. Who will release and deliver me from the shackles of this body of death? Oh, thank God. He will through Jesus Christ, the anointed one, our Lord. So then, indeed, I have myself with the mind and heart serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Oh, is that good. So I just wanted you to see that. Paul understood it. Paul got the discernment that there was something. When he got gloriously saved on the road to Damascus, he understood he was still carrying something in his life that was still giving him trouble. You remember when Paul got in a button heads with Mark, and then they got in such contention with Barnabas, wasn't it Barnabas and him got in such contention that they split up. They split up, man. They, I don't know how long they didn't talk to each other, but it was, it was not good. All the things that we butt heads about. In the end, and I've, I've, I know I'm getting old. I cry over things when I'm reading the Bible. And I've shed tears just reading uh, where Mark, Paul, is all by himself. He's getting old. He's about to die. He's in prison. And he writes a letter. and says, would you make sure you bring Mark with, with you? I'd like to see Mark again. All that stuff. All that stuff. Didn't mean nothing. So Paul understood the struggles of this nature. That's why he taught on it. He wanted us to understand that there's struggles in us every day we're dealing with an adamic nature that is trying to silence the nature of God on the inside of you. And I'm just telling you the way, that it just, it's just the way it is. And, it, you know, for some, for some of you who are young in the Lord, you know, and uh, it may be a little bit easier for you, you know, uh, not to contend with some of the things that we, who serve the flesh for years. You know, when you serve the flesh for many years, I mean, you serve it and you feed it. That's why you guys... You have to be careful what you're feeding on. Because whatever you feed, you give strength to. So if you're feeding the inner man, the word of God, praise God, all of a sudden the nature of God is beginning to conquer the very passions or appetites of the flesh that used to conquer you. Now you're conquering those things. Is that awesome or what? All of a sudden, your thinking changes. All of a sudden you say, Wow. What used to control me, whether it's fear, oppression, moral stuff, I mean, I'm, I'm, I can see I'm, I'm really getting the freedom from that. And all that, my goodness, it's so much better. Let me just tell you something. God is not square. I mean, he doesn't want, he wants you to have pleasure. He wants you to have delight. But it has to be within the boundaries of his word. Because if you allow your passions to get out of, outside the boundaries of God's word, you're going to, I mean, the, the pain and the suffering that we create by the choices we make, all the while, all the while, our freedom found right here in the Word of God. All the while, right here. So important. So important. Again, I want you to, if you want to go on the Internet, we'll pick this right up in Romans 8 next week, uh, or week after next. If you want to go to Romans, um, excuse me, if you want to go to the Internet, and, 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 and you want to Google this book, and it, it changed our lives. Richard's here tonight. It changed our lives. Flesh and, Spirit by, uh, Flesh and Spirit in Conflict by, by Theodore Epp. And uh, just it, it, check it out. I'm telling you, it is absolutely powerful. And it literally will set you straight regarding the warfare that's going on in your life. Amen. So you understand that, you know, the, the biggest problems in your life isn't the one next to you. The biggest problems in your life is, isn't, um, you know... Um, your boss or, you know, or your financial needs or the biggest challenge in your life is understand who your true enemies are. And your true enemies are found in Galatians 5, the 19th chapter, or the 19th verse. So study that. And then study the fruit of the Spirit. Just think about the fruit of the Spirit as we close here. Think about this. Again, I've, many times I've said this, but fruit, I mean, to get fruit, you have to plant a seed. Is that right? To get fruit, you have to plant a seed. It's interesting how he calls it the works of the flesh, the fruit of the Spirit. 
The works of the flesh, I mean, you work the flesh, it's going to give you a harvest of pain and agony. But if you, but if you sow, if you scatter the seed of the character of God, you practice that every day. And let's, let me tell you something. It's not easy. It's not easy. Because it's so hard. We said that in, think in your marriage. So difficult to love someone 100% when they're loving you 30 what God, he said, Pastor, that's not even unreasonable. Well, God does it for you every day. Every day, God does that for you. He loves you 100%, even though you may only be loving him 30. I'm very glad for that. So you have to practice that in your life. Practice that in your life. There's going to be warfare, but the warfare is more internally than it is externally. Yes. There you go, hon. So what's the answer to all of this, really? Um, flesh and spirit in conflict, or, or, or the spirit in conflict with the soulish realm, which is your mind, willing emotions, which needs to be renewed to the word of God. When we got born again, we we're body, soul, and spirit. Our spirit got born again, made new, Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. But what is the answer? You know, instead of, it's so difficult, it's so difficult, it's so difficult. You know, Jesus is the answer for the world today. But the Holy Spirit is the answer for the church. We have an answer. The Bible says that, you know, if we want to overcome the flesh, we need to do it by the Spirit. By building... The word will overcome our mind, our will and our emotions. We renew our mind to the word of God. But the spirit we have to keep building up by, the whole, by, by praying in the Holy Ghost, by relying on the Holy Spirit, by being led by the Holy Spirit, by walking in the spirit. Because the spirit is the third person of the Godhead, the only person that is in the earth, literally in the earth today. And sometimes we don't make enough of that. We need to make much of the Holy Spirit. Make much of the Holy Spirit, and our spirit will be renewed more and more and more unto God. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. So, so many times uh, Christians are, are trying to love, 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 and they don't realize the love that they are trying to attain to is a humanistic love, a human love rather than the love of God that's shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost so we can love like God loves. And sometimes even considering uh, you were talking about uh, Margie's uh, friend there at church, it, love will tell the truth. Love tells the truth. I love, 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 love them. Well, then tell them the truth, and it will set them free, right? But we have an answer to overcome the flesh, to overcome the world, to overcome the devil, and it's the Holy Spirit. And before Jesus was challenged, when he was uh, baptized and led into the wilderness to be tempted, he, 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 <laughs> he attained to overcoming by the Holy Ghost. It was by the Spirit. Not by might, not by power, but it's by my Spirit. So in all these things that Mike's been pointing out about you know, Paul pointing out to us is that flesh and spirit in conflict. Glory to God. We have the upper hand on it because we have the spirit alive on the inside of us. And you know what? Daily, daily, we need to be being filled. Daily, be filled with the spirit. Daily, wake up. Good morning, Holy Spirit. Thank you that, that you're on the inside of me ready to just pour out the love Amen. Pour out everything I need today. I, I, I'm going to build myself up by praying in the Holy Ghost all the way to work or while I'm in the shower. Because then the Holy Ghost can start to speak to you, can start to lead you. But we have to give him place in our life. If we're going to truly overcome the flesh. And, and the church, I'm telling you, we've got, we've got a lot of flesh going on. I know we do. Because... You know, you, we, we get so involved in so many things that you can't call evil or immoral. And yet, 
they're distracting and they're becoming idols because they're more important than than being in God's house, than being with God's people. They're more important than taking time to pray or or give ourselves to the Lord. The flesh and spirit in conflict is only going to be overcome by us building up our spirit in God's Holy Spirit. The worship and praise, that must be in spirit. We must worship him in spirit, in our spirit, not with our mind, our will, and our emotions, with our spirit. And, and you might say, well, I don't know what that looks like. Just start to close out everything else. Close out everything. Whenever, especially at corporate times of worship, close out everything and just let it come out of your spirit, out of your spirit. You might find yourself shouting. You know there's more to praise and worship than, than just being led by song. There's clapping. That's a type of worship, but it's a type of praise. There's dancing. It is truly a type of praise. There, there is shouting. I, I felt that tonight when they were leading us into a place, and I just, I just moved out from them, and I just wanted to stand there and shout and shout. I felt such victory in my spirit. And that's the spirit wanting to shout. Well, then shout. Just, just praise and worship by the spirit because that's what's going to overcome the flesh. And, that's, and, and then your spirit's going to, draw you to more of a hunger for the word of God. And it's the word that's going to retrain your mind, your will, and your emotions, and your human thinking. You're going to take on the mind of Christ through the word of God. So I'm telling you, Jesus made a way. The Father made a way. He sent Jesus. Jesus said, I must go away and send the Holy Spirit. You know what? Let's be more mindful than ever before. And, and, And we should want the presence of God in our lives more than anything. The presence, his holy presence, more than anything else. And that comes by us yielding to the spirit. And God gave us all the the tools concerning the spirit and to overcome. Amen. So there are answers. It isn't just, I got to figure out how to fight this flesh. Now you do it in the spirit because God gave us the Holy Spirit. Amen. To build us up. The Bible says, Pray, build up yourself in the spirit, praying in the spirit. You build up your most holy faith. Amen. Let's stand, please, just for a moment.